I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Verses 13 through 15. And then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And moreover, God said to Moses, and thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Being a preacher in a new place, sometimes you hear stories about the way things were. And one of the things that I've heard again and again and again, when Don used to lead singing, he did an excellent job. And I'm so glad that I got to enjoy that this morning. Not the least of which, why? Because he sang one of my favorite songs, mine and Catherine's, that is Christ we do all adore thee. But I appreciate a man like Don, and I don't know if he's going to pay for this more in the morning of coffee at the Romeos, or I am, but uh, I appreciate him getting to know him and his quiet humility and the depth of knowledge and wisdom that he has, and not the least of which, his endurance, patient endurance and suffering. I'm so glad that he got the lead singing for us this morning, and so glad that we got to sing along with him. I'm going to do something this morning that I have, uh, haven't ever asked anybody to do, and I would like for you all to pray for uh, me this coming week. Um, I'm starting a new Bible study, a uh, personal Bible study with an individual. I'm not going to tell you who he is right now, but I'm going to start a, a Bible study, and I want you to pray, especially in your daily prayers. You see, I'm, I believe in the power of prayer, and I know that you do as well, and I think that as many people as we can get praying for an individual and praying for a Bible study, the more it is that God is going to listen, the more it is that we're going to pray for the right things and we're going to pray for a positive outcome. I want you to pray for a soft heart for the individual. I want you to pray for uh, my ability and being able to present the lesson. I'm not exactly sure and I need wisdom, so you can pray for me to have wisdom with regard to the approach with this individual. But I know it is that it's going to outcome for the God's glory. And I know that the Bible tells us in passages like Matthew 13 that what we are is uh, uh, sowers. We're ones that scatter the seed. And, and it is up to the individual and the individual's heart and how it is that they receive that word. And so as you pray this week, I hope it is that you'll keep that in, in your prayers and in, uh, in your heart. And uh, anytime you think of me, that you'll just offer God a little prayer arrow to say, God, be with Andy and be with this individual he's studying with. You see, our business is about introducing people to the living God. Our business is about showing people who God is through the Bible. And just like Troy read just for a moment, just for a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 3, you remember Moses as a shepherd in the field of Midian in Exodus chapter 3. He had been there for some 40 years, 
And it was that he turned aside because he saw a great sight sitting there on the edge of the mountain of the Lord, Horeb. And he saw a, a bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses turned aside and God spoke to him out of the bush. The angel of the Lord spoke to him out of the bush and said, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy. And Moses, in that context, got the commission to say, God saying to him, listen, you're going to be the one to go into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, as some of us do, when we read the word of God and we hear the word of God be spoken, we, say, we begin to make excuses why it is that, that we shouldn't follow that. And one of the first things Moses says is, from what we just read, as he says, God, what if I go to these people and what if I ask them the question, who are you? Or they say, who is this God? Who is the one that sent you? What's his name? Moses said, well, I'm gonna, what am I going to say? But God, as he introduces himself to Moses, surely Moses had some kind of cursory background information being a descendant of Abraham about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moses had never really personally encountered God. Let me put it to you this way. If you were introducing God to somebody for the first time, how would you introduce him? What words would you use? What ways would you describe who he is? That's what we're going to look at this morning briefly with our time, is to ask, what is his name? How does God describe himself to people, whatever it is that he introduces himself? And we're going to look at eight Hebrew words. And as we look at these eight Hebrew words, I'm going to ask you to turn to those contexts so that we can better look at them and have a better understanding of who God is and the way that he introduces himself. The first one, you're already there if you've got your Bible open to Hebrew, or excuse me, to Exodus chapter 3, and that is the word, what is his name? The word that we pronounce sometimes, Yahweh, Yahweh. It is the proper name of God. You can also say it's even maybe a personal name of God. When Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the Lord your God of your fathers, he has sent me to you. And they ask him, what is his name? What shall I say to you? And God gives him this answer. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is, I am the self-existent one. Sometimes in our Bible we'll note Yah, or we'll note uh, Y-A-H or J-A-H being a shortened form of the same word. That is the self-existent one, the I am. And God says, I want you to go and tell those people, the I am has sent me to you. Interesting, over the course of time, the Jews took this word, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, no vowel sounds, and they call it the Tetragrammaton, the four letters, right, that, that represent the name of God. And what they began to do with this is as they would see this word, or maybe it was that they were going to refer to the personal or proper name of God, they would stop using this word because they deemed it too sacred or too holy. So we don't want to even speak that word. One man likened it to this, any J.K. Rowling fans, Harry Potter, right? And how it is that there was this one antagonist in the Harry Potter series that you weren't supposed to speak his name. And so they just simply said, he who must not be named. Right? If you look at that, the Jews took somewhat of the same approach. And so what it was, was whenever they saw this word in Scripture, and they're doing their out loud reading or reading in the Bible, or in the Hebrew Bible, when they would come to this word, Y-H-W-H, they wouldn't say that. Instead, they would say Adonai or Edonai, which simply means master. So every time they saw L-O-R-D-Y-H-W-H, they would skip over it and say, instead, in its place, 
the word master. Somebody over the course of time took that, the vowel sounds out of Adonai or Edenai, master, E, O, and A, and they put them there as the vowel sounds into this YHWH so that they got this made-up word. In essence, what it is, is Yehovah or Jehovah. Jehovah is a made-up word, and maybe if you're reading out of the American Standard Version, you see that word interposed. In our most of our English versions, it has capital L-O-R-D. That's the word Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. It is the personal, the proper name of God, the self-existent one. And we, our minds have trouble wrapping ourselves around that because we're term, we think in terms of time. We think, that, think in terms of, uh, of uh, what was before God. You can't ask that question. God is self-existent. God has always been there. Well, what happens before? No, He exists. He is. Yahweh is self-existent. And so it was that God could properly be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God couldn't be the God who created the world and all that's in it, and he could also be the one that speaks to Moses, and he is self-existent self today. God reveals himself using his proper name. God reveals himself, you want to turn your second one, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. God reveals himself as Elohim. Elohim, we'll call this one the majestic name of God, or if you like, the sovereign name of God. The word Elohim can refer to, depending on the context, again, doing word studies on this word, great, mighty, or maybe even the great ones. In, 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 in uh, Psalm 8, it refers to, in some English versions, you have made man just a little lower than the, some English versions say angels, the word is Elohim, the great ones, the mighty ones, or made him a little lower than God. It is the majestic name of God. Realize also that this word, Elohim, is sometimes shortened to just El. Here's the interesting thing about Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Our English version doesn't give weight to it, but it's there. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That is the plural form of God. But our English version renders it singular. In the beginning, Elohim, plural, created. From the downbeat of the very first chapter, of the very first verse, of the very first book, we have God who is one, but God who is plural. What you see down in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, as God begins to talk about uh, uh, creating man, you'll note there in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our own image. When I read on further in uh, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God, Elohim, plural, the Lord is one. See, the interesting thing about this is this word, Elohim, doesn't designate who did it. We understand the Godhead, the Trinity, if you like to use that term, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it doesn't designate who did it. God did it. Well, okay, who was it that, 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 that part of the waters of the Red Sea? Was it Father? Was it Son? No, it was God. God did it. It's sovereign. It's majestic. 
It's God and His power creating the world and everything in it in His sovereignty over creation, over all matter, over everything that we see and everything that we breathe and everything that we touch and hear. All of this, God is above it all. God is sovereign over it all. We sing the song with our children. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. There is an attitude that we have towards sovereignty or ought to have towards sovereignty that takes that very seriously. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, Walk prudently when you enter into the house of God, for there are some that don't walk so. In fact, they come in and they offer the sacrifice of fools. Sometimes it is we cannot respect the sovereignty of God the way that we ought to. Yes, our worship ought to reflect reverence. Yes, our worship ought to reflect the attitude of a head bowed and here's one superior, here's one sovereign that sits above us all. Here in his majesty, we're going to worship him. Worship his majesty as we sometimes sing. And we worship him. But we need to be careful that we make don't make God too familiar. Years ago when I was growing up, they used to have a t-shirt that some of my friends would wear. Jesus is my homeboy. There's an attitude of impiety and an attitude of really irreverence or disrespect that we can ascribe to the sovereign God. God introduces himself as the self-existent one. God introduces himself as the sovereign one or the majestic one. Look at this number three from Genesis chapter 14. El Elyon. This is a positional name of God. It's translated God most high. Turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. After the kings of the north came down and sacked Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember who they took captive with them? The one man who was living with his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lot, they took him and his family captive. Abraham goes and he pursues and he attacks them as far as Dan and, and he carries back Lot and his family and all the spoils of war back. And he meets this man in Salem, a man by the name of Melchizedek. His name is only used here in the Old Testament. He's not used anywhere else in the Old Testament. And we don't really begin to express or understand why Melchizedek becomes important until we get to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 7. And the Hebrews writer there expounds all of the importance about why Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. But note, four times here in the context, verse 18 Verse 19, verse 20, and verse 22, you will see El El Yon, God Most High. Melchizedek was priest of God Most High. Melchizedek blessed Abraham who served God Most High. And Abraham said, because I'm a servant of God Most High, I'm not going to take so much as even a sandal or a shoe from what belongs to God. The positional name of God, God Most High. You see... This word acknowledges the fact that there are people who are in authority. There are ones who are in authority. We can look and no matter who it is that we think that is, whether that may be the governor, the president, our law enforcement officers, think to the highest rung in the food chain of authority. Those people are high. Those people are in positions of high authority. But here's the thing. El Elyon designates there is no one higher than our God is. That's where he sits. That everything that we have here on earth, every person who's put into authority has been put there by El Elyon, by God most high. So it is 
when Jesus stands before Pilate in John 19. And Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power to release you? Don't you know, Jesus, that I have the power to crucify you? What did Jesus answer? You would have no power unless it had been given to you from above. We look at all the things that are going on around us. Romans 13 tells us that those people who are put in the positions of authority are put there by God. They are God's ministers. And as we look at our life and we look at the people and the authorities that we have around us, folks, the Bible tells us in passages like Colossians chapter 3 that we need to submit to those who are over us. Talking about the slave to the owner, you submit to that, the, that owner. You submit to him as unto the Lord. You see, we're all going to have to, no matter how high we get in the food chain, no matter who's going to feel like their top dog, there's always going to be God most high that we will have to answer to. God introduces himself as the self-existent one, the majestic one, the highest. We sing the song, we place you at the highest place. God's there whether it is that we want him to be or not. And we better respect that. Number four, the word in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1 is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. By the way, note how many of these occur in the book of Genesis and then the book of Exodus. Why is that? Because God wants us to know from the first book and first and second books of the Bible that he is important. And it's important that we know who he is. Word El Shaddai, Abraham being 99 years old here in Genesis 17. He had been promised for about the last 25 years that he was going to have a son all the way back from Genesis chapter 12. And God, as he reiterates this to Abraham, he says, I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. Abraham, you follow me. You continue to follow me, and I'm going to give you a seed. And not only that, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth through that seed, because I am El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is from Romans chapter 4, talking about this very occasion. How many kids did Abraham and Sarah have together at this time in Genesis 17? They didn't have a single one. But what Romans 4 verse 17 tells us is that God is the one who gives life to the dead and is the one that calls those things that are not as though they are. Or another translation says those, he calls those things who don't exist as though they do. What is too hard for God? He gave life to a lifeless womb, to a womb that was long past dead. He gave life to a man who was a hundred years old and his wife, a brand new baby boy that they could hold in their arms. And you remember what Sarah did whenever she heard that she was going to have a child? She laughed, didn't she? She laughed. You know what they named that child? Isaac, which means laughter. God had the last laugh, didn't he? Because it was that God Almighty was able to bring about that child from two people that were long past bearing children years. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about our God, do we talk about El Shaddai? Do we talk about the Almighty, the one who is able to affect change in our lives? I know it is that there have been a lot of people that have offered up prayers for the East Coast and prayers for the Philippines and the, the terrible storms that they're doing. 
And as we look at those things and we see the way that God is able to affect change, not only in situations, do you realize that God is able to affect change also in individuals? God is able to bring about circumstances where it is that people can humble themselves before Him. Do we pray to El Shaddai, God Almighty, that His will be done? That not only can God change circumstances, but that God can change people, that God can change us. God, I'm facing this in my life. God, I don't know how to handle this burden or this problem or this difficulty or this illness or this cancer. I don't know how to handle this. But God, I know you're powerful. I know you're God Almighty. And I know, God, that if you're not willing to change this, change me. So it is that I can trust more in you. Number five, word that we looked at last week from Psalm 90, El Olam. You'll note the word El, which is God, shortened form the word God, God Olam of everlasting. This is the eternal name of God from Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the, 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 the seas, from everlasting to everlasting, El Olam Ad Olam, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the everlasting one. The Bible tells us in passages like Isaiah chapter 40, wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run, not grow weary. They'll walk, not grow faint. Do you ever realize that when we pray for something, that our timetable is not the same as God's timetable? God is not bound by time the way that we are. And in our driven society, in our don't-like-to-wait society, in our microwave society where I want it and I want it now, that's not the way that God operates. Why was it that God waited till the Romans were in rule in the first century before it ever was that he brought forth Jesus? Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us that it was the fullness of time. God knew this was the exact right moment in history that Jesus needed to be here and where it was that centuries later we're blessed because of him. But folks, realize that when we're facing something that causes us to question, where is God? Why is God not doing something? Why is God not active right now? Why is God not meeting my need right now? Brothers and sisters, he is. But his timetable is not the same as our timetable. And so it is we look at God most high. We look at God of eternity. And we realize not only is he powerful, but he's working things for his and for our good. That's Romans 8, verse 28. God of everlasting. God introduces himself, number next, from 1 Samuel chapter 17, as the Lord Sabaoth. The Lord Sabaoth. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find a young man by the name of David. And he is going to bring some lunch to his brothers and to the captain. And as David goes there, he hears the challenge of a nine-foot-tall Philistine, champion of Gath, by the name of Goliath. 
And David begins to look around saying, why is there nobody here to meet this challenge? Why is there nobody that's going out? You see, because the armies of Israel were standing there and the champion of Gath is down there in Valley Vila and he's going, who's there to challenge me? Who's going to challenge me? Who's going to defeat me? David says, I'll go. He goes and talks to Saul and Saul says, listen, he's been a man of war from his youth. David says, the Lord's going to give me the victory. As David goes out, and he talks to the champion of Gath. You remember what he says? You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord Sabaot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies whom you have defied. And David says this day I'm going to give your, <laughs> give your carcass to the birds. And it's so it is that that happens, that God gives that great victory through that young man with his faith. And as we look at our lives and we look at things, you know, we understand that God is, he's not just self-existent. He's not just majestic. He's not just mighty, almighty. He's not just from everlasting to everlasting, but he is also the God of armies. We're studying minor prophets on Wednesday evening in the back room. You know, one of the favorite titles of God for the minor prophets and the major prophets, for that matter, is the God of armies. You know what the message is to these people? Listen, you are going to face the Lord Sabaoth. You're going to face the Lord of hosts. If it is that you don't change your ways and, and be wise, if you don't turn the ship and you don't move back towards God, you need to be uh, understand that there is a time when God is going to bring about an army and he's going to destroy you. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, the God of armies, Bible tells us that there's a day that God has appointed. And I can't imagine how this is going to be, but the sky is going to be split right down the middle. And Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's the beauty of Thessalonians. There's the wrathful side of being on the Receiving end of God's wrath, 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 tells us of the comforting side of God. And being on the side of victory, being on the side of the Lord of hosts. Question, where are you on that day? Do you have the right relationship with God? Where it is that you're going to be on the comforting side, where it is that you're on the winning side of the Lord of hosts, or are you on the receiving end of his wrath? God is the God of hosts. He is Lord Sabaoth. God is Lahai Roi. Lahai Roi, the caring name of God. Genesis 16 and verse 7. Genesis 16 and verse 7. We meet a young handmaid of Sarah by the name of Hagar. And Abraham thought that he could, he and Sarah concocted this plan that they would bring about an heir because God told them they were going to have an heir. And they said, you know what, uh, Sarah said, Abraham, you go in and you take Hagar as your wife and you go ahead and you have a child by her and that'll be by extension my child. And so it is, Abraham does what Sarah says and he goes in and he has a sexual relationship with her and she brings forth a child, they call him Ishmael. You know what happens as she's pregnant Sarah looks at that, and Sarah begins to get really jealous and really upset, and she takes Hagar, and she throws her out of the house. Hagar goes out in the wilderness, thinking that the end has come. And in her tears, she has an angel of the Lord come and talk to her. And the angel says, 
Hagar, go back to your mistress. Go back to your, uh, go back to your master. It's going to be okay. God's going to be with this child. Everything's going to be all right. Summarizing. But as Hagar sits there and thinks about this, she is overcome, and she names the place Beer Lahai Roi. That is the place of the God who sees. Her message is, is this really the God that cares for me? You see, brothers and sisters, he's not just the sovereign God, the self-existent one. He's not just almighty and all-powerful. He's not the one from everlasting to everlasting. He's not just the God of armies, but he is the one that notices when you cry. He's the one that sees the sorrow in your heart and the difficulties that you're facing. He's the one that sees and cares for you and he cares for me. He's not the divine watchmaker as some would paint God or the divine shipbuilder that just sends the ship out into the night and, and, and says whatever will be, will be. God is actively and interested in your life and my life. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the good and over the evil. Proverbs 15, verse 3. God sees you. God cares for you. Who knows your disappointments? Who hears each time you cry? Who hears your call for comfort? Who dries the tears from your eyes? Hagar was introduced to him as Lahai Roi, the God who sees and cares. Last one this morning. This is one that's found in the New Testament. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And this is, of all the names of God, my absolute favorite. And I hope it is your absolute favorite too. As the angel speaks to a young woman by the name of Mary. Excuse me, it's the angel speaking to Joseph. Saying, the young woman that you're betrothed to, is going to have a son. Look at verse 23. And behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You see the L in there, God. Manu with him, us. He is God with us. The saving name of God. The only one of his kind. The only begotten son of God, John 3 and verse 16. And as it is, he lived and dwelt among us, John 1 and verse 14. As it is that Exodus 3 verse 14 draws our minds back to where God says, Listen, I am has sent you from the burning bush. When Jesus was visiting with those Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 58, you remember that he said, when a Before Abraham was, I am and they sought to kill him because they understood the implication of that john 10 verse 30 jesus said i and the father are one john 14 verses 19 and 9 and 10 jesus said if you have seen me thomas you have seen the father Brothers and sisters, the only way that we're going to know the Father, the only way that we're going to know the God who is Yahweh, the God who is Adonai, the one who is Elohim, is, is if we know the Son. The only way we're going to have a right relationship with God is if we know Jesus, the one who means Savior, the one who is God with us, Emmanuel. Do you know him? Do you know him? Our purpose, our purpose here, 
is to know and love and trust God more and more and more. To grow deeper in our relationship and greater in our appreciation, more fervent in our worship toward the God who made this world and all that's in it, but the same God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that it is that the only way to be right with God is through the Son. That is, Jesus is the only revelation that we're going to get about who God is. And as we hear the message of the gospel and we say, you know, I understand who God is and I understand the only way to be right with him is through Jesus Christ. I want a good relationship with him, with the one who is Yahweh, the one who is Elohim, the one who is, is El Shaddai, El Olam, Lahai Roi. I want that relationship. And I believe the message of Christ. And I'm going to stop living the way that it is that I want to. And I'm going to start living the way that God wants me to. You know what that is? That's repentance. Changing our mind and changing our heart with regard to what we did. And saying, you know what? From now on, I'm going to go God's way for the rest of my life. I'm going to name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to confess his name before men. And it is that I'm going to be baptized into Christ like we talked about this morning in Bible class. Baptized into water where I leave the old man of sin dead and buried in that grave. And I'm raised to walk in newness of life having a great relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, do you have that this morning? If not, why not? You can have that right now. If it is that you've stumbled and faltered in your relationship with God, I'm going to encourage you to make it right this morning, either publicly or privately. What can we do for you? Our purpose is to love and appreciate God more and more every single day. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.